Coming up on today's show, Blake Bortles gets benched. Deshaun Watson boards a Greyhound, and the Browns find themselves on the wrong side of another overtime battle. Plus, the Bears and Patriots come down to the wire. Patrick Mahomes might have the most potential of any quarterback this decade, and what are we going to do with Vontez Burfick? It's all that and more in a big Monday episode of The Tomahawk Show. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show presented by Uninterrupted. Please interact with the show by following us on social media at Tomahawk Show and be sure to use the hashtag Tomahawk. I am your humble co-host, Joe Thomas. With me as always, Mr. Andrew Hawkins and the two sidekicks who need no introduction, but we're going to give it to them anyway. The Zerm the Firm from Cleveland, Ohio. (laughs) And of course, Natty Ice bringing it to us from Southern California, originally from the Bay Area. How are you guys all doing today? Joe, we're doing awesome. I'm loving your energy right now. It's pumping me up. I'm losing my voice, but you have enough energy for the both of us. So it's making my day better here in sunny Los Angeles. Uh, we, we got energy for days today because I got my ridiculously expensive coffee maker and it is flowing hot cups of espresso all day. Natty Ice, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I'm kind of under the weather a little bit, but I'm doing okay. I just made my coffee with my non-fancy coffee mm. maker. <laughs> mm. Do you have a French press or how do you make coffee at home? I do. I use the French press. Yeah. It's the oh. easiest thing. It's like, yeah. I got it for like $5 at Trader Joe's and it's the easiest thing. I love it. I didn't know Keurig wasn't like good coffee. Until... No, Keurig's like gas station coffee. It's very- yeah, I didn't know that until Nat told me like two weeks ago. I thought it was like, that's why they were so good. I'm like, this is just premium coffee right at your house. This is, <laughs> check me out. You, you can make tea, you can make decaf, you you have variety. That's why it's nice. And I, I have a Keurig. I, we got one in the basement. That's great. I'll what use- about a Keurig that makes mixed drinks? Is that a million dollar idea? Like alcohol? Like alcoholic mixed drinks, like a vodka Red Bull mm. at the that house in the Keurig. That would oh. be cool. Mm. No, you guys think, like you would have a little you would have a little pod that was just, just vodka 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 vodka. You put it in there and then it boom. Make it. Hawk, wow. we're gonna let you come up with that idea and then you can market it to us like a shark tank style and I will give you probably ten dollars. Perfect. That's a ten dollar idea. I love it. Zerm, how you doing, my man? Um guys, I'm great. I saw um I saw Halloween this weekend, the movie, mm-hmm. so I'm feeling a little spooked out okay. as Halloween approaches. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, I I too am I I actually have a uh I have a Keurig and I can confirm that uh it's not the best. I <laughs> I usually try to make I usually try to make iced coffee and I will so I'll make it the night before and then I'll just put it in the fridge and it's just even compared to like Starbucks iced coffee, it's not quite as good. So hey, I don't know. Can we get a real quick update for myself that nobody asked for? I've only drank drinking two Mountain Dews in the last four days. Really? Is that uh, why you sound like shit? <laughs> you're in withdrawal? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're going through withdrawal. I'm losing my, my world right now. So it's just mm-hmm. going to take a week for me to kind of get that back into my system. I've been taking a lot of Excedrin for the headaches that I'm getting from not having the caffeine. But mm-hmm. we are making progress, Tomahawk. I just want to let you guys know that. This Thank is you. true. He did. He did say in the office the other day. He's like, "Nat, I've only had two today." I'm like, "I'm mm. so proud of you." Wow, it's, good job, man. Kidding. You look thinner. Honestly, Thanks, you look man. a little thinner. Hey, I think it's the beard. I was just gonna say, uh, the Tomahawk beard game is coming in real strong right now. Oh, I yeah. see. I, I'm rocking mine. Zerm is rocking his. Hawk, you always have a nicely trimmed up, very well lined beard. 
Thank you, sir. I've been getting a lot of compliments on it. I'm usually not a beard guy, but mm-hmm. with all the compliments I've been getting, I might be yeah. a beard guy in perpetuity. The the thing with the beard is you got to add more to the beard as you lose more on top. I feel like it's a good way of kind of shifting people's focus. Like, wow, yeah, you got a right. nice beard. And then they forget <laughs> about how bald you're going on top. And I got to say, I don't know who it was, but I want to give somebody a hug on Team Tomahawk that finally sent me that balding cream that hopefully will help save me from utter and complete baldness. Now now we don't have to keep the, the beards because the beard is kind of just like a diversion when you're losing your hair up top. It's like, don't look up here, look down here where all the hair is. <laughs> and that's another thing about getting older as a man. Something that so many people should warn kids about if you're in high school and you're a teenager, like, hey, cherish your hair because you're going to lose it in places that you want to keep it and mm. it's going to grow in places mm. that you don't want it like mm. my shoulders like yeah. i got hairy shoulders and it's like why is that but nobody mm. told me about that when i was 15 or i would have enjoyed it more i would have went shirtless a lot more mm. i would have mm. just let my hair grow out without doing anything to it i live mm. all my hair dreams through my son now your son has <laughs> phenomenal hair phenomenal hair it's he, because he does, i know like oh the treasure that it is, and I make sure that he yeah. gets the most out of it. That's funny, my, my son's like that too. When I was a kid, I had like this really long, uh, blonde, curly hair, and that's exactly what my son has. And every time it's just getting to the right amount of, of length where you can kind of like push it back and it can look really nice. My wife wants to cut it because she keeps saying, he looks like a shaggy dog, his <laughs> hair's in his eyes. But I'm like, no, it's just almost to that point where it's gonna start like on its own falling to the side and he's going to look so cool. Like we're going to have to move to California and he can be a surfer and it's going to be awesome. But she cuts it and then it looks like the dumb and dumber bowl cut, you know, or you just it, put the it's bowl the only thing that keeps me in Wisconsin. If she yeah. just lets it grow to the surfer status, you guys yeah. would be living in a, a, a mansion in Malibu. <laughs> right down the street from the Hawkins. Exactly. All right. Well, hey, let's get right to our three and out because we've got some exciting topics to talk about today, namely starting with Andrew Hawkins' second favorite quarterback in the NFL after Nathan Peterman. We've got the Blake Bortles topic, all right? Blake Bortles got benched on Sunday. The Jaguars QB went six for 12, 61 yards, two fumbles, and got benched for former Cleveland Brown great Cody Kessler. And the Jags lose again to the Texans. 20 to seven and now they are three and four and everybody is off of that bandwagon were, were people on the blake bortles bandwagon i remember you said some ridiculous I was thing about blake bortles this year i'm not gonna lie i had to reevaluate my opinion of blake because i kind of always thought that he wasn't a good quarterback if anything he was maybe a game manager if i was going to be nice i would say you know blake was a good game manager he played to his strengths of his team which were a good defense they had a good running game all of a sudden leonard, leonard fournette is out and blake bortles looks like the guy from about three years ago who uh, was getting run out of the league yeah, he threw for 84 yards in a in a playoff game. That was when I was hard pass. You know what? Never again. Never on this kid. But this, I don't want to bash guys, but he yeah, don't bash him. terrible sometimes. Yeah, it wasn't good. So, but this brings me to a good point, and this is my point on this first three and out is on first down. You cannot win in today's NFL with only defense. So these silly coaches that think they can run the ball and play good defense and win championships and and have a great team for many years are just flat out wrong. In the old days, when offenses weren't so explosive, there wasn't as much scoring. Uh, it was a much more physical, tough man league. You could win with running and defense. Like 
Teams did that for decades. Early 2000s, the Ravens were your classic case. They didn't have much offense, but they had one of the greatest defenses of all time. They had a game manager at quarterback, and they won a Super Bowl, right? But the Jaguars, they were trying to do it again. They were trying to play 1999 football. Look, they got almost to the Super Bowl, but of course they couldn't beat Tom Brady. And now, because in in today's NFL, it's impossible to keep those defenders together because of injuries and salary cap issues. And if you don't have a stud quarterback, you're never going to be able to have consistent success. And not even a, it's not even so much that he has to be a stud. Yes, that would be incredible if they had a stud quarterback. Like if they had a Patrick Mahomes, it would probably be a guaranteed shoe in for the Super Bowl. But to me, the biggest issue is the fact that it's like you're hurting the team. You're throwing interceptions off of people's helmets. You're fumbling. So you're not even to the status of game manager sometimes. You're making it even that much harder for you just to sustain and let the defense do the work. They score like once a week, it feels like. So if you just (laughs) don't mess up, you have a good chance of winning football games. That's the biggest problem with Blake Bortles. So here's the other issue is your window is so small when you're trying to do it with defense. Just look at what happened with the Eagles, right? They had a pretty good offense. I'm not going to say they're doing it only with defense, but they had a really good offense. And they won the Super Bowl last year. But I would say they were still led more by their defense. But it's just impossible to play at a super high level on defense in today's NFL. And look what's going on right now in Philly. They are hard-pressed to get over 500. So you gotta got to find that franchise quarterback. you got to yep. build it around your skill players on offense. Those are the guys that can stay healthy. You can keep them on the team. You, you need fewer of them to be successful for the long term, whereas in defense you need all 11 guys. And uh, it's tough to do that in today's NFL. You just can't do it. This brings me to my favorite Cody Kessler story. Um, now that Cody went in, and they, I don't even know who's going to start. Blake Bortles might start. Cody might start. Who knows? But when we were in Cleveland, there was a game – Cody was a rookie, and long story short, Cody was the three, I believe, and then quarterback started getting hurt. And <laughs> as quarterback started going down, Cody started getting more nervous and nervous and nervous, and they weren't ready for him to play. This might have even been one of his first game dressings. I don't even remember. Long story short, 27 quarterbacks get hurt in the game, and it's like, Cody, you got to go in. It's your time. Cody he was like, are, are you sure? Are you sure? Me? Oh, my gosh. This, this guy was so – Nervous, which is normal. He's a rookie. He's never done this before. But he was like, his face was terrified. Like, this was not a part of the plan. So someone must have read it on his face, one of the coaches or whatever. Terrell Pryor is one of our receivers. They go to Terrell Pryor. They say, yo, TP, start warming up. You're going in at quarterback. <laughs> TP was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, TP, we need you. We don't have anybody. He's like, you don't pay me enough to play quarterback. <laughs> you signed me as a receiver. I'm not here for that. I'm not a quarterback anymore. Cody's oh, going in. That's Cody awesome. went in. <laughs> well, how, about that? how about you got a couple of guys that neither of them want to play quarterback? I mean, how about that? That really tells you about the state of our team at the time. When and you, you know what? I wanted to go in a quarterback. I heavily sided with Terrell Pryor in that situation, too, because <laughs> I thought the same thing to myself. Like, oh, isn't that some bullshit? They pay you at a, a minimum receiver salary, and now you got to go in and play quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> go in and humble yourself. All right, second down. This is a a story that has turned me into a huge fan of this player. Deshaun Watson takes a 12-hour bus ride to Jacksonville instead of flying because he has some type of chest injury, whether it be bruised lungs, punctured lungs, who knows. He starts at quarterback, and they win the game. 
Is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? And what's the craziest thing that you've ever done to get yourself ready on Sunday? That is a crazy ass story, man. And it does show his toughness. And I can't believe that he had broken ribs and a punctured lung and they still let him play. But whatever, we yeah. wouldn't get it. So crazy. you fire the medical staff if that happens? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like there's no way that if he has broken ribs and a punctured lung, he should be playing in an NFL game. Right. If you he can't had that a, offensive line, if it's, it's getting murdered. You to fly to a place, you shouldn't be playing in the game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if it's if flying is dangerous, you shouldn't be playing in an NFL yeah. football game. Like man, we cannot put you up that high in the air, but we're gonna we let the, uh, 400 pound gorillas try to rip <laughs> your head off for 48 minutes. Um, yeah, the craziest thing I've ever done to play in a game. I don't know if it's crazy or it's not tough. But we were playing uh, the Houston Texans in the first round of the playoffs, the wild card game in 2012. It was our second time in a row playing them in Houston. And I got sick as hell before the game. Like Friday, Saturday, mm. I started coming on really strong. Mm. Long story short, I'm pounding fluids. I'm taking all this medicine, hoping to try to get ready. I'm like, I was hoping each day that, okay, maybe this is the worst day. It did. And it progressively got worse to the game day. On game day, my temperature was 103 degrees. Oh. So I'm like, there's no way I can play. Go and as down. you know, in football, you can miss for a lot of things. Being sick isn't one of them. <laughs> no. Like, I don't care how sick you are, broken legs, whatever, like stuff like that happens. When you are sick, you they make you play. They make you practice. Real quick, another time I was super sick, like 103 degrees, and it wasn't like, hey, stay home today. There's no, like, I'm calling in sick. They made me come in. They gave me Advil and Tylenol, and I had to lay in the training room all day long. I didn't practice. I didn't go to meetings, but they also didn't let me just go home and lay in my bed. So that's just how the NFL works. Anyway, game day, um, the night before, I'm trying to get ready. I, I'm rooming with AJ Green. They come and knock on my door at like 6 as soon as I get to the room. Hey, we're going to move you. Um, we don't want you to get AJ sick. So they put <laughs> the floor. They got me out of the room with AJ Green. Game day, I'm like sick as hell. I'm, we're in Houston, Texas on the sideline. If you go back to the video, I have one of the winter coats on. We're in Houston and I am <laughs> freezing. I'm taking IVs at halftime. It was the worst game ever. I could care less if we won or lost. We lost. But that was all the crazy shit I ever did to play. I got to know, where did they put you if they didn't want you to get A.J. Green sick? Did they yeah. stick you in like a broom closet? They're like, oh, hey, we, we, we can't get – have Hawk getting our good players sick. We got to stick him in the broom closet. It's like as soon as I started, important sick. As soon as I got to the room, it was literally almost like a minute later, the knock at the door, like, hey, Hawk, you're going to come with me. They put me in a room by myself. <laughs> I remember when the guy came and get me to go to the bus for the game, I was laying down, like face down in a full suit that I wore. And I was just laying, because it was the only place I could find comfort. So I was like on the floor level, oh. just laying with my face down. So it was a young kid. He came in and he freaked out because he thought I was dead. <laughs> <laughs> in a room by myself and they thought I was just I just went out and I couldn't call anybody like, oh my god Hawk I'm like I'm fine man I'm just just trying to lay down I'll give me like two minutes yeah. <laughs> craziest thing I've ever done how about you what's the craziest thing you've done to get ready for a game except not practice all week for like seven years yeah but that wasn't crazy that became uh, status quo um for me I would say I, I I think I talked I've talked a lot about my knee problems getting ready for games and how we had to drain it almost every week and how we had to put all sorts of medicine in there to try to get it feeling better for Sunday and I couldn't stand on it during the week I couldn't even watch practice so mm -hmm. uh, I'm kind of tired of talking about that but I will say one thing that I did earlier in my career I think it was like my seventh year or so 
I got these really bad back spasms because I've had a bulging disc in my L5S1 on my left side for like, I don't know, six years now, <clears throat> just from the constant pounding and wear and tear of being an NFL lineman. As a lineman, we're always kind of putting ourselves in that arch spine position to absorb bull rushes, and it puts a lot of the pressure into your low back. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of guys in the NFL have bulging discs and burst discs and uh, degeneration and stuff like that. Um, but mine actually it caused a back spasm. And if anybody's ever had a back spasm, they're like the worst things on earth because it's almost like a, a broken rib or something like that where you, you can't do anything to get comfortable. Everything hurts. You can't use your core muscle. You can't get out of bed. You can't tie your shoes. So the last four, four weeks of the season in my seventh year, I flat out couldn't tie my own shoes. I couldn't get out of bed without like oh, wow. rolling onto the ground and doing a push-up. Somebody would help me up. And I wouldn't practice the whole week. And then on Sunday, they would get me like two of these big back braces. I'd put it on. I would spend like two hours trying to get warm. They also had these back plaster things that they would uh, like glue onto your back to try to give your muscles heat in order to try to loosen them up a little bit to allow you to play. And I ended up playing the last four weeks of the season like that. And then it was another like three weeks after the season was over of not getting hit before my back actually loosened up. And I would say that was probably the most uncomfortable thing I had to deal with because like I said, it affected you no matter if you were sitting, if you were standing, if you were laying down, it didn't matter. It felt like it was uh, just a total nightmare because you couldn't use your back whatsoever. But then the second the muscle spasm relaxed, it was like it never even happened. And that's (laughs) the funniest thing about back injuries and muscle spasms in your back. When you're, when you're dealing with it, it's a total nightmare. And then all of a sudden it's gone and you completely forget about it because there's no lingering pain whatsoever. And it's so easy to forget about it and go and re-hurt your back because of how good you feel once they're gone. You know what? I haven't really dealt with back spasms, but it sounds terrible. And now that I'm small. like- small. Small guys don't have back problems. Right, but I, now, that, back guys like me. now that my midsection and my, my <laughs> is like thicker, I, I can feel like where a back spasm could be. So yeah, it's maybe, coming. Big maybe dog. it's coming. All right, here, moving on to third down here. The Cardinals get shellacked on Thursday night football oh. by their offensive coordinator, Mike McCoy, because their offense has been terrible. Larry Fitzgerald's looking around like, I came back for this shit. Yeah, I so, feel bad for him, man. Tell me this. They moved Byron Leftwich. Shout out to a, a player becoming – I didn't even – if you would have told me Byron <laughs> Leftwich is the backup in, for the Panthers and then also said he was the offensive coordinator for the Cardinals, I wouldn't have known <laughs> which one was true. So, <laughs> Dude, I, I'm with you on that one. Shout out to him. Was this the right move, Joe? I think it was a desperate move, right? I feel bad. We talked about Steve Wilkes in the offseason. He came from Carolina. He was a great defensive coordinator there. And we said Mm -hmm. the worst job to be taken this offseason is the Cardinals because Carson Palmer is retiring. Larry Fitzgerald either either is retiring or is almost done. They got all sorts of issues with injuries and guys leaving in free agency. And they just – they're in kind of shambles down there. And you bring in a new coach – and it's just not working out. They, they drafted Josh Rosen, who's been okay, but he's dealing with all the same issues that almost every rookie quarterback deals with. It's inconsistent play. It's turnovers. It's low completion percentage. It's getting confused by defenses. And you see Steve Wilkes, he's in panic mode. And the only thing you can do is just start uh, trimming the things that are the issue, right? So he's trimming the buds right now, you know. Uh, Mike McCoy, the offense is not doing well. You got to fire him because you got to keep the fingers 
from being pointed right back at him because he needs to survive the season and then he can make some big changes and sort of figure out what the direction of the team is going to be in the offseason. Um, but Byron Leftwich, interesting choice. I guess maybe he was the quarterback coach or he was mm-hmm. the most ready to take over in that position because it's impossible to go out and hire somebody from the outside at right. this point in the season. you got to just have somebody who's been in that offense who's basically just going to pick up the flag and do exactly what you've been doing from an offensive standpoint, just maybe calling a few different plays. Yeah, and I don't even think it's a scheme issue. I think it's, like you said, but going into the season, we said this is the worst head coaching vacancy for all the reasons you named and they're in a division where they have the LA Rams who are the, one of the hottest teams mm-hmm. in the NFL the Seattle Seahawks Russell mm-hmm. Wilson Pete Carroll and even the 49ers where they have Shanahan and Garoppolo coming into the season they were one of the hottest teams as well so it's like at best you're going to be the fourth best in your division you're going to be bad knowing that going in you couple that with them having a brand new head coach and a brand new quarterback in a first rounder that you know was going to play early on then what I think the, the issue is with Mike McCoy was not only was the offense bad, right? They aren't getting the ball to Larry Fitzgerald, and David Johnson is doing nothing. David Johnson, who looked like one of the best football players in the NFL a couple years ago, I know he's coming back from a wrist injury, but that typically doesn't hamper a running back. Like, that's kind of one of those things where it's like when it's done, when it's healed, it's healed, go back to who you are. So I think if it, had he done a better job of getting David Johnson and keeping him involved as, as much as he could and then – getting Larry Fitzgerald as many touches, as many looks, and making sure he's on the field, he would still have his job even if they were getting killed because those are the two constants. Those are the two easy buttons. Those are the two most consistent players we've had on offense over the last four years. Things would have sustained. Joe, I've never lost a coordinator in midseason. You, though, I think have. I feel like there's, there's not a coaching situation you haven't been through. So what is that like losing a, a coordinator in the middle of the season? You know, that's a good question, Hawk. I I feel like I've dealt with everything under the sun. Except that. I, I, I've never had a coach fired in the middle of the season because it does mm-hmm. nothing, first of all. It's, it's, it's yeah, silly. Dumbest move in uh, football. And, and I don't know if I've ever had a coordinator fired in the middle of the season um, that, that I can think of. Let's just speculate. I'll pretend that I have <laughs> in, case I, in case I haven't. I don't know. Crazy stat. How, how many years in a row and how many different coordinators did you have? Like, what My was last it? nine years, we had a – my last nine years was a different coordinator every year. That is the craziest mm-hmm. stat ever that doesn't get as much publicity as it should. Nine yeah. years in the same offense, and you had a different offensive coordinator every mm-hmm. single year. Mm-hmm. Wow. And every two years, I had a different coach, or one, actually. Rob Jasinski only made it one year. But all those other guys, they would make it one or two years and then uh, get fired. So, um yeah, it was a rough, rough, tough road to hoe. But so, real quick, tell me this: If I'm a guy, right? You are a guy, check. Check. <laughs> and I date nine women. Right? <laughs> Whoa! Over time, not at the same time. Dream scenario here, huh? <laughs> or maybe nightmare scenario. <laughs> and every time, it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And these are supposedly nine of the best women on the market, and it doesn't work out every time. <laughs> is it them or is it me, Joe? Mm. Yeah, well, if it's you we're talking about, Hawk, it's definitely you. Because, okay. Uh, I, I know who you are, and there's no way. You can barely handle one woman. There's okay. no way you can handle nine. All right, so you're saying you had nothing to do with those nine years. that They were plugging and putting more people around you. Yeah, you I would say. At some point, someone should have probably said the definition of insanity here. Like, maybe, maybe they're <laughs> not the problem. They, they should have done been the same the whole time. The left tackle. It's the left tackle. 
But I digress. Okay, go ahead. Play, yeah. Give me what is it like changing offensive coordinators in midseason? So you lose an offensive coordinator in the middle of the season. I think as players, you all realize that the offense probably isn't going to change at all. You might get a few different calls and maybe a few different wrinkles, but for the most part, all it's going to do is maybe inject some energy, some enthusiasm into that offense, especially if the players have kind of felt that the play calling was old or predictable, right? You got a new guy in there. He's going to have some new ideas. The plays are going to be the same, but the way that they get called and how things happen, whether more aggressive or more conservative, is going to be different. And anytime you're you're having a problem getting wins and you're losing a lot, which is redundant, you are going to feel happy about change. No matter what the change is, you're going to feel optimistic as players. You're going to think, all right, well, this is what we needed. You're going to try to bring the locker room together and they might get a boost actually I wouldn't be surprised if they get a couple week boost before that sort of emotional high of something new and change kind of wears off and then I think they go back to being the same old offense that they have been up until this point yeah speaking of coordinators (laughs) man this is this one's tough for us big Browns fans here um the Browns lose in overtime Again. So wait a minute. Before oh. we unpack the game. Four overtime games in seven weeks. Unheard of. That's an extra game. That's outrageous. For context, at $15 million a year, Jarvis Landry makes $937,000 per game. It's like $937,500 or something like that. Hmm. He's essentially played a free game, which is worth a million dollars to him <laughs> so far through seven weeks of the season. Mm. Browns have a overtime addiction. I'm going to do a bit on this later on. Oh, but they have an overtime addiction and they need an intervention because I don't care if you win or lose. I'm not saying you got to win all these games. Just do it within the 48 minutes. Like you have serious commitment issues Like make a decision. You're like Joe who dated his wife for 14 years before he proposed. <laughs> it was like, Joe, piss or get off the pot, man. Mm. What are you doing here? Mm. I don't even know if that's true. Is that true, Joe? Mm. How long did you date Annie before you got married? Uh, no, that's not factually accurate. Okay. We'll go with it. It was a couple years, but we'll go with that. We dated in college. All right. All right. So anyways, yeah, the Browns, they lose another heartbreaker. Uh, this time, Jabril Peppers fumbles the ball, turns the ball over, and then the Buccaneers have an easy 59-yard field goal to win in overtime, which <laughs> right before they were about to kick that field goal to win, I tweeted out something like, they're not going to kick this field goal. They're going to snap it right to the kicker, and he's going to punt it. Because I thought how improbable it would be that that kicker, after missing an extra point and a field goal already, was going to be able to nail a 59-yarder. And had he missed, the Browns would have only had to move like 20 yards in order to win this game. But I think this proves a point that we've been talking about a little bit is NFL teams and fans are getting really sick of these overtimes and these ties that we're seeing more and more often, especially with the shortened overtime. And coaches are sick of ties. They hate them almost more than losing. So Dirk Cutter, the head coach of the Buccaneers, said, I would rather lose this game than tie. tie. So he was like, screw it. I'm going to kick this 59-yarder. I don't care that the chances of him making it are slim and that once the Browns get it, they're probably going to win this game because there's only like two minutes left. And he went for it. And, hey, the risk paid off. Uh, the kicker, who Catanzaro, who had already missed two times yeah. in that game, much easier field goals, fielded, and all of a sudden he has a chance to uh, save his career because he was probably going to be on the unemployment line mm-hmm. had he missed three field goals in an overtime game. 
they're going to eliminate kickers soon. I'm just Dude, they've been struggling this year. Oh man, they just it's it has not added much value, and now I'm to the point, and you know we got to get Pat McAfee back on here because it's been a, it's yeah. been a tough year for this. I would like to hear his take. I'm interested. Why is it our perception or our kickers actually struggling more this season than they have at any point up until now? Yeah, I don't know what it is. All that golf during training camp and drinking <laughs> at during meetings that they can do because they don't do anything else is catching up That's with right. them. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com slash smart for details. So, well, let's talk a little bit more about the Browns games. There are a, f- a few, the Browns game, a few of the highlights here or lowlights. The Browns offense scored zero points in the first half. Mm-hmm. They had 74 yards on offense, and they had only two points, which was a safety on defense. What is going on right now? It seems like the Browns have regressed since – Baker came in and lit the world on fire against the Jets and then followed it up with another great performance. He struggled in the last couple of games, and their offense really hasn't been able to get anything going in the first half the entire season. So, Hawk, from your perspective, what is going on with the Browns' offense? We probably should have kept Josh Gordon. I'm going to put it out there like that. From a player standpoint, from a just a fear standpoint alone, and I get the situation, and again, I'm not saying that he's not better off in New England. Obviously, he's doing well with the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm not saying that over time we're not going to be better off here in Cleveland ha- with having finally, you know, cut the cord. But when you're looking at offense and we're just talking X's and O's, Josh Gordon strikes a fear in defenses that opens everything up. right? And I think Antonio Callaway will get there. He's young. He's had a couple of struggles that you would expect out of a rookie. You can't put too much into a, a, a rookie receiver that way. But he is the deep threat that – is supposed to strike the fear in the defense. And so he's he's got a little bit to get there. He, I think he's going to be an incredible player, but he's not quite yet yet ready to put that on his shoulders. Jarvis Landry, he's kind of a – he's more of a possession type, hell of a competitor, hell of a leader, incredible hands, knows the game. That touchdown he had was amazing. Like the sense of mind of a veteran to Loved it. know that he has a split second to put that ball out for a touchdown is amazing. Mm-hmm. I just think to get the most out of Jarvis, to get the most out of Baker – you always need somebody that is threatening to be like, hey, we're going to throw this over the top of your effing head if you lax for one second. And they don't have that. I think it's just been tough for that opening. Also, Rashad Higgins, he's not in there. He's another possession guy, smart football player, another viable option for Baker that is not out there. Um, so I just think that overall that the chemistry that they have is is, is just kind of in a place where they can't get it down. and. It's showing on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think what the issue here is the Browns are still trying to figure out what their identity is as an Mm -hmm. offense. They don't know if they want to be a ground and pound. They don't know if they want to be a three receiver, open it up, throw the ball all over the field. And I I kind of expected that it would take a few games to figure out, okay, this is who we are. This is what we do well. This is what we're going to focus on because new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, new running backs, new receiver. It's natural. It's going to take a few games, but – I think what happened is now Baker came in right when maybe you would expect 
teams to normally start figuring out what their identity is. And so now they're going through a new process to figure out what their identity is. And a lot of times at the beginning of games, everybody knows that they've got their openers. They've got kind of what they think is going to work against the defense. And it just hasn't worked for whatever that reason has been. And then what you're seeing in the second half and what I saw from Baker this past week is he is reverting to his gunslinger mode. Whereas going into this game against Tampa, they were saying, okay, Baker, we don't want you to make the mistakes. They were trying to reel in a little bit of his ad-libbing where they want him to be more of a pocket passer to kind of go through his progressions and not take as many risks. And it, it didn't work out very well in the first half of this game. He looked like he was too cautious. He wasn't sure of himself. He wasn't letting it rip like he was earlier on. And then in the second half, all of a sudden they were playing from behind and he just started letting it rip again. And I think that's what he does best. You, you want to be able to sort of manage and mold that, mm -hmm. but you don't want to remove that from who he is. I remember right. growing up in Wisconsin when Brett Favre was young and Mike Holmgren was the head coach, and they used to battle all the time because Favre had this gunslinger mentality. He was going to throw three or four picks in a game, but then he was going to come back and throw five, five touchdowns and, and one pick the next week because he was going to let it rip no matter what. And Mike, being a West Coast guy, always wanted to try to – rein that in and get that out of him but you can't ever fully get that out of a guy because when you do you lose his playmaking ability and what strikes fear into opposing defenses and what makes him great so hopefully they're able to start recognizing that a little bit and they're going to be able to sort of maybe take the governor off of Baker earlier on and just let him throw the ball. Don't make him hold on to the ball. Don't give him so many things to think about in the pocket, taking all these sacks. He took, I think, five sacks again yeah. in this game. And we saw a lot of times where he was double clutching. He didn't really look sure of himself. He was getting his feet in bad positions. And I just don't think that's the best Baker. And I'm hoping that maybe they're able to do some self-scouting and sort of get Baker back to what he was doing the first couple starts. There was a point in this game, I, I thought for sure this game was going to end in a tie at the end. And I remember it, it was close when he said, this is the worst football game I might have ever watched. Oh. It was just quarterbacks taking sacks. They were just getting themselves sacked out of field goal range, going back and forth. And when they line up for the 59-yarder, I'm like, dude, there's no way that he's going to make this. This game is, they're definitely going to move to two, three, and two, which is a crazy record how about that record wouldn't that have been great <laughs> <laughs> what, what are we feeling like with the browns right now is it all this team where it's the same old stuff over and over again are we encouraged by it because yes they didn't do well in the first half understood second half they were balling like if you took the second half in isolation they look like the browns that we've seen they just had a really slow start i'm just curious as to I guess what the expectation is in, in Brown's fandom right now. I'd like to hear Zerm's take. He's, he is the lifelong Browns fan living in Ohio. And I know he's got some passionate thoughts on yesterday's game and sort of the direction they're headed. And then I'll follow it up. Um, yeah. I mean, I think people are starting to panic a little bit over here. Panic in what, from what standpoint after going one and 15, zero and 16, two, four and one. <laughs> what it, what it, what is the panic? Are we panicking that we're not winning the Super Bowl? Is it that we're not going to make the playoffs? That we're not turning it around. I think that's the panic. Yeah, that, that it sort of looks like a lot of things that are starting to happen to the Browns are things that have kind of been happening in those past two years in terms of just like like the penalties on the defense on, on like crucial mm -hmm. third downs were crazy yesterday. Mm -hmm. And 
And yet, you know, something that, and I would get your guys' perspective on this too, is offensive players, you know, because a lot of times those first 15, 20 plays are scripted offensively. And like the Browns seem to be at their worst when they're, when they're out there running their scripted plays like in the first quarter and then sort of early on. So there's sort of this, I think people don't quite understand what's going on with the offense, although, you know, their receiving core has been decimated by injuries. So I think like you have to take that into account. I think Baker is sort of lost a little bit of confidence because he doesn't know who to throw to and who's going to come through for him. But I think like, especially offensively, because the defense still made a ton of plays Mm -hmm. yesterday. It's just like people can't seem to understand it. It still feels like there's too much talent on the offensive side of the ball for them to be struggling. Like to not score any points against the, I think the Buccaneers were the worst statistical defense in the NFL. Like that should not, that should not be happening. So I think that's where people are sort of starting to freak out a little bit. That makes sense. The Bucks defense definitely sucks. And first, the first fifteen is the dump is the second dumbest thing. Firing a coach midseason and expecting different results is dumb. And then the first fifteen, scripting the first fifteen plays is also high on my dumb list for um, professional football. You have to explain that because every team in NFL history in the last thirty years scripts their first fifteen. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. So what do you think? They just walk in there and just start dartboarding? I mean, to- is that what you'd recommend? Offensive First off, there's been there's been coordinators who okay let me change it there are certain coordinators who are great at scripting the first 15 because they know it so well they know what this defense is doing they have such a, a deep understanding of what's going to happen that they can script it out and then there are people who do first 15 because the first 15 like for you for the reasons you said that everybody does it and i've seen first 15s where i'm like dude none of this is going to work they don't run this defense at this time. We get in there. We're running these stupid-ass plays that aren't working against the defense that you had no idea was coming, and you're, like, locked into this. And then I've also had coordinators to do the first 15, and we run maybe two plays of it ever. We always run, like, the first two plays, and then it's just, F it. We're going how Mary on a third and four. Like, Sounds like you have a problem with the coaches calling the first 15, not necessarily the strategy of scripting the first 15. I mean, I get it, but I'd rather – in the game, it just never seemed like it worked out the way that yeah. everyone scripts it. Like, that's yeah. not football. Football no. is not a scripted thing. That's a practice thing. When you get into games, you adjust. Just well, adjust. Let me clarify a little bit for the people that are at home that don't know what a first 15 is, that haven't sat in those NFL meetings talking about, all right, here's our first 15. So basically what every offensive coordinator in the NFL does, he comes up with roughly 15 plays that they want to start the game with. It's formation, shift, play, based on what they've been watching on on film of what they think the defense is going to do, how they're going to react, and then all the coaches that are sitting up in the box are going to be watching wh- how a defense responds to that that personnel grouping, that shift, that motion, and then that play. And then a lot of times that'll set up what they're going to do later on in that half and then the next half. And a lot of times what you'll see too is complementary plays. Like you'll go down in the first 15 and like the third play, boom, that was a big play, right? We got them in the look that they wanted because from a defensive standpoint, a defensive coordinator has a very small call sheet. He's going to have certain call, maybe two calls for each formation or motion and adjustment because there's just so many things on defense that you react to, right? He's going to maybe have a couple blitzes and then sort of a base coverage that they check to if they get a certain formation. And so once an offense sees that, they're going to go to the next play that they think can take advantage of whatever the defense did to react. And so it's sort of a cat and mouse back and forth. And then a lot of times what you'll see too, is if in that first 15, one of the plays was successful, you'll, they'll go back to it later in that half. 
they'll say, okay, the third play was, you know, 96 power. Oh, that worked really well. What we're going to do is instead of just running the same play, we're going to wait five or six plays when we get into a normal down and distance again. We're going to flip it with the same formation, give them a different window dressing. So they're going to go with a different personnel grouping or a different shift to get it and then run it the other direction. So maybe it, it, it looks similar. They're going to get the same defense and then they're going to run the play only it's just a little bit tweaked and it's to the other side. So th there's a lot of thought that goes into that. And, and I think one thing that people need to keep in mind with the first 15, they don't just blindly go down the first 15. It's, it's only sticking to the script if the down and distance is based on, on the track. situation. Right. right. So if it's first and 10, you're on the script. If it's second and six to second and four, you're on that same script because that's considered your normal down and distance. If it's second and 10 again, that's off script because that's a long second and 10 a lot of times. And you'll go to like your second and 10 plays, which is a different category on your call sheet. If it's third and one, you're going to mm -hmm. go to your third and one short yardage place. If it's a goal line, you're going to go to your goal line section. If it's red zone, you're going to be calling your red zone plays. If it's third and long, you go to all your third down stuff. If it's any third down, really for that matter, your third down. So really the script stuff is only your first and second down plays when it's sort of your normal football kind of normally in the field it's not backed up it's no special situation so um, even though they say it's the first 15 and it's scripted it's not like you just follow it blindly a lot of times right. you do end up going off script but there are coordinators who follow it blindly and also they script they should be fired yes and that there's also coordinators who script things that they would do whether they had a first 15 or not it's like why would you script a first 15 and i get it's for the situation but See, here's what happens, and this actually is a good segue mm -hmm. into our next topic. Preach. When shit hits the fan, you go to your bread and butter. That's just human nature, right? If I'm attacked by a bear right now, I'm not going to switch it up and, like, poke him in the eye. Mm. I'm not going to tickle him to try to – no, I'm going to run. That's what I was – that's the thing God gave me from an <laughs> early age is I'm fast. <laughs> You're going to run. So when shit goes bad, I'm like, uh-oh, get out of there. Boom, I use my superpower. For O coordinators, when they get in the game, when things don't go as planned, you revert back to what you trust. When That's quarterbacks true. get in bad situations, they revert back to what they trust, right? So there's even talk of Hugh Jackson, who is now said he, he's leaving it open that he might get more involved in the offensive play calling and the offensive scheming. It's because when things aren't going according to plan, you go with what you trust. And in this situation, if you're a head coach, you trust yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's if I'm gonna go job. if I'm gonna go down, I'm not gonna go down doing what you wanna do. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go down doing what I wanna do. You know, that's it's human yeah. nature. That's a good that's a good point. I'll never forget when Mangini was the head coach. Uh, his first year was bad. We went one and eleven to start, then we won the last four, five and five and eleven season. Then they hired Mike Holmgren to be like the czar. And then like, the first few games he was trying to be he was trying to appease Michael Holmgren. And then it wasn't working great. It was like week four or five he came in. And he basically said that same thing that you just said. He's like, look, if they're going to fire me, I'm going to be doing it my way. They're going to fire me because I did it my way, not because I tried to appease somebody else who was my boss. And so exactly. then he just did things his way the rest of the season. And he still got fired, but at least he felt good about it. Because yeah. you imagine how bad you would feel if you, if you felt like you were trying to appease whoever your boss was. And then you still got fired and you never even had a chance to prove who you were as a head coach or who you were as an employee. Like, for instance, Hawk works for Natty Ice and right. he tries to be himself. But if he was trying to appease Natty Ice and he got fired, 
And he, he would have only himself to blame. I would only have myself to blame. And it's funny because going back all the way to Hard Knocks, let's take a rewind, oh. quick trip to Hard Knocks. And remember, remember the, the head coaching coordinator exchange oh, where yeah, he was right. like, he, he quoted the old coach that um, Coach Al Saunders always told us, when you have your own team, you do what you want. Yeah. And people were like, oh, what kind of head coach said that? What kind of philosophies? No, that was the point. It's like, I didn't work up here to then do what everyone else tells me to do because mm -hmm. when it doesn't work, I'm going to be pissed at myself for not listening to me. I'm going to be pissed at you for making me con convincing me to do it your way. And I still lost my job. So and I'm the one that gets fired when you're the head coach. Yes, you get to do what you want. That's the point of getting there. And what was that conversation about? Was it about keeping players healthy? It was about managing practice reps during training camp. And the strategy was instead of giving guys, let's say if there's 30 team reps on uh, a given practice, instead of giving guys 20 out of that 30, for like four days in a row, the, the strategy was, let's give them all the reps today and tomorrow and then give them the final day off. So you're still giving them the same number of reps as they would under a normal strategy, a normal schedule, but under this schedule, you're giving them something that more closely mimics what happens during the season where you have off days, you have practice days, you have game day, and then you have rest. And so you're trying to uh, get players' bodies more acclimated to the rigors and the wear and tear of what a season looks like. And they had some science that backed it up saying, like, it's better to give your body, you know, active recovery and rest versus just constantly doing a little bit of high-speed training every single day without any days of complete, like, active rest. Right, right. Anyways, we beat that horse to death. Yes, which is what we do. We beat horses. <laughs> Marquee matchup, Bears-Patriots actually came down to the wire and got a little bit interesting in the end. What did we learn from this game? Um, nothing. We didn't learn anything. Patriots wow, win. Okay. It's like, come on. Oh, come on. Right. Welcome welcome to, to Monday. What are we talking about here? Josh Gordon looked good, though. If you're yeah, starting to I see – that's, that's something to learn. Like, Josh Gordon is going to be really good in that offense. If he can, again, maintain, stay on a straight and narrow, man – People kept asking me, like, oh, this won't work out. They never does. I'm like, no, you don't get it. Josh is better than everybody. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't apples to apples. He is not human. It's not the same thing. And I think over time it's just going to keep getting just like that because he was, he was making those DBs look like little kids, which is what he typically does. But now he has a quarterback who can place the ball anywhere that he needs to put it. Josh Gordon's going to continue to get better as the season goes on. His hamstring is becoming more healthy. He's understanding the offense better. And I truly believe that the success that they're having as a team and him personally is going to help him keep him on the straight and narrow. The year 2013, 12, 13, when he had that breakout season, mm -hmm. Norm Turner was the, the coordinator. He led the NFL in receiving yards in like 12 games. It was just yeah. incredible. He had no problem avoiding substances and, and being the player that he needs to be off the field because he was having success on the field. And I think that's what the Patriots are going to allow him to do. So right. the only other thing I'll mention in this game is I think we've seen that Mitch Trubisky is playing better, but he has not arrived yet. No. He was not able to keep him close in that game. He did some great things with his feet. But his final stat line, 26 of 50, 333, two TDs, two INTs. He's still making too many mistakes. Yeah. And he's still got a lot to learn. 
from what defenses are trying to do to him and how he needs to react before we can crown him franchise quarterback. But he's getting better. He's getting better. That, that's the biggest thing. I'm like, sometimes we get spoiled in the guys being hot shots early or coming in as a rookie and looking like Baker in his first game. Or, you know, when Patrick Mahomes takes his, his first couple games, he, we get used to that's how it's supposed to be. If you got it, you got it. No, but there is there are players who mature. There are players who develop. And if you watch Mitch Trubisky, while he's not there yet, He's getting better week to week. He's better this year than he was last year. And you can see that eventually he'll put it all together and he will be a really good quarterback in the league. Yeah, he's got the brain to do it. And so there's no reason that keeps me from believing two, three years down the line, he's going to be a franchise quarterback for the Bears. Exactly. All right, it's time to move into another Canadian Music Award nominee-worthy edition of Am I Trippin'? Mm. Zerm, take us through and get us right all right guys just a couple today but this is what the people come to the podcast for so you know we got to do it <laughs> we got to bring it <laughs> so we got to bring the heat so you guys mentioned hawk you just mentioned patrick mahomes and last night another sunday night football game they demolished hawk's former team the cincinnati Bengals. patrick mahomes <clears throat> i believe he had four more touchdowns he's thrown for like 300 yards and like four straight games he's playing out of his mind the chiefs are having an incredible season so guys this got us thinking Am I tripping or does Patrick Mahomes have the highest ceiling of any quarterback that's been drafted this decade? So that's Cam Newton, that's Andrew Luck, that's Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Deshaun Watson, and even guys like Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, if you want to include him. But does Patrick Mahomes right now, if you think about the quarterback he can become, does he have the highest ceiling of any quarterback since 2010 that's been drafted in you guys' opinion? Um, no, he doesn't. Mm. Because he's already so good. What? Meaning, like, I don't know how much better he can get from here. He's six games over 300 with over 300 yards passing. Five of those games he's thrown for four touchdown passes. So I feel like I don't know how much higher his ceiling is because he's already better than everybody. And I guess I may be understanding it wrong. Is he going to be better than everyone else this you, decade? You have totally yes. ruined what the question. The question Whatever. Is about what I'm saying is how much untapped potential he had. Okay, that's what I'm looking at, untapped potential. But untapped even still. Potential. My point remains the same. He's really fucking good already, like yeah, way sure. better than anybody else. And he's probably going to win the MVP this year. We've seen him in so many different oh. situations, and every single time he answers the call and he looks like we're just waiting for the slipper to fall off, and it never does. A little Cinderella reference there? Was a little Cinderella reference sure. there. Shout you out to my daughter. watching some kids' movies this weekend with the, <laughs> with the kiddos. No, I'm going to say he does not have the highest ceiling, and, and this is just more of a pragmatic take, but – Cam Newton is the guy that's been drafted in the last decade that has the highest ceiling because he has Patrick Mahomes, but he is 6'5 and 250 pounds. He might be 6'6. He might be 6'6. Cam Newton has the arm. He's got the brain. He's got the scrambling ability. He's got much bigger size so he can handle these hits. The thing that I worry about with Patrick Mahomes, he hasn't been hit much, but if he does get hit, Joe, if size can... mattered, elephants would be the king of the jungle. That's true. And they are because nobody messes with an elephant. Uh, don't even get me started. Just man. saying. Go ahead. I mean, they don't eat other animals. but <laughs> No, but uh, the, the thing that's held Cam Newton back is he has not become a consistent pocket passer. He has not had the ability to drop back in the pocket and efficiently move the ball down the field with short passes because it seems like 
he wants to always make the long pass down the field because that's what he does really well. He wants to hang there in the pocket and always take the home run play rather than sometimes just taking what the defense gives him when they're giving him the, the deep coverage and he has underneath stuff. Just give it to those guys. Just let him move the ball down the field six, eight yards at a time. That will open up the rest of the game, and he hasn't figured that out yet. I don't know if he ever will because he just loves making those big plays, and sometimes it works. Like we saw this past weekend, they came back from a huge deficit right. to win that game in improbable fashion, which was super fun. I loved watching it. I watched the last, uh, fourth, uh, the last quarter of that game. And it was awesome. He's exciting, but until he consistently learns how to pick defenses apart, he won't be able to tap that ceiling, which is the highest out of any quarterback drafted in the last decade. You know what, Joe, you've convinced me because you're an incredible analyst and I'm now going to agree with you because now that I think about it, and Mahomes is still really, really good, but what Mahomes has that they've never given Cam is incredible weapons. Cam has never had those kind of That's weapons. True. He's never had everything that you need. He has Sammy Watkins, who coming into the, that 2014 draft, we thought he was going to be the next incredible receiver, and he's still really good. Mm-hmm. They have Tyreek Hill. They have Travis Kelsey. They have Kareem Hunt. Like, So you're right. Mm-hmm. If we gave Cam those same kind of weapons, I feel like he would put up the same, if not better, numbers. Guys, I got to say, Cam Newton, that's a great take. I'm into that. All right. And this is something, Joe, that you you put on your Twitter account as well. But it feels like every year we're talking about Vontez Perfect. We're talking about hits that he's making and the legal contact that he's getting involved in. And there was a video that came um, from Robert Klemko, who is a writer for Sports Illustrated. He tweeted out this video. It's about a uh, two-minute, 30-second video of Vontez Perfect and all of his illegal hits. And he's pointing at Juju Smith-Schuster and saying, you're next. And he's all this stuff, and it, and it seems like the NFL doesn't know what to do with Vontez Perfect as these incidents continue to happen. And even last night, there was a video I saw come out where he appeared to, when he tackled somebody by the legs, he appeared to try and twist their ankle as he was getting up. So, I saw that. so it seems like every week it's something with Vontez. And there's been people have had questions, and this is my question to you guys, but am I tripping or... Should the NFL consider banning Vontez Perfect from the NFL? Like, is this something we have to get we have to go to extremes with when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals linebacker. Joe, I'll let you go first because I'm a gentleman. So I called last week for Vontez Perfect to be suspended for the remainder of the season. I feel it's the natural progression from where he was and where he's already been suspended and fined. They just need to continue to raise the stakes until he gets it through his thick skull that he can't play like he he is in the 1960s anymore, right? The game (laughs) has changed. We can't headhunt. We can't intentionally try to hurt each other. These players that are out there, they're trying to take care of their family. They got a job to do. In the NFL, we don't have guaranteed contracts, Mm -hmm. so we don't need to be knocking each other out of the game because we're not playing, we're not getting paid, and we got a lot of people that rely on us. This is a job. This is a business. This is our long-term health that's on the line, and you can't have players in the NFL, in today's NFL, that are intentionally trying to take people out week after week after week And the only thing you can continue to do to try to get through to this player is to continue to raise the stakes of the punishment. And I think they should suspend him for the rest of the season. And then the next time he does something like that, maybe then we ban him for life with an opportunity to appeal after two years. Yeah. People are going to kill me for this. I don't think he should be suspended to be honest. Mm. I don't, I, there's just so much like hypocriticalness going on and I might even be a part of that to be honest. But for some reason, I don't think he should be suspended. Is he a dirty player from time to time? Yes. Are there a lot of dirty players that didn't get suspended, don't get suspended, don't 
have these conversations? Yes. Are we looking for it for Vontez? Of course we are. To me, they should never put him in against the Steelers ever again, which I know sucks because it's a <laughs> divisional game. But well, here's the thing. Player. He's an incredible player, but that's personal. So when he tells Juju, you're next, that's mm-hmm. not football that's talking. You remember he got taken out last year versus the Steelers, and Juju stood over top of him. Mm-hmm. And then they also did a celebration about it, like mm-hmm. a couple weeks later mocking it. No, this, yeah. is, this isn't football anymore. Like, yes, you're next. I don't give a damn. There's not an amount of money. There's not a fine. There's not a suspension that's going to stop me from trying to decapitate you, period. This is football. So I, I understand, yes, this is, the game should be is safer. You can't be dirty. You can't put people's lives in jeopardy. There is a line that should be crossed. And when, every time he crosses it to that point, yes, the suspension should be considered. But it can't be every single thing. Like an ankle twist under a pile, that happens every game 25 times a game. Am I lying, Joe? Not to me. Nobody twisted well, my ankles because I never never fell on the ground. That was a point of pride during my career. It I, happens to day, me. No grass stains. It was a success. All the time. And I'm not saying it's okay, but there there should be a level of, you know, I think we just look for for Vontez. Yes, he, like I said, he was a scary dude to play against. Even someone who used to be my teammate, I would hate playing against him because it was like, yo, the scariest thing in the world is a guy who doesn't care about the rules. <laughs> he don't that care when, about when, when faced with a decision and that I'm going to lose $100,000 or there's a chance that I can have you eaten out of a straw, that he's mm-hmm. going to choose the latter every time. That is mm-hmm. a scary dude to play mm-hmm. against. And the Bengals know that. To be honest, I don't think Vontez Burfick, he knows that like, yo, I don't care. Not like from a standpoint, like I care about getting people hurt. But if I don't play football the way that I th- think I play football or I think I'm best to play football, I'm not going to be here. He ran a five flat at the combine. <laughs> if you've ever seen him in person, he's more fit now, but he was always a bigger guy. He looks more like a, a miniature D tackle. So there's a way he plays the game that is like, yo, if I don't play it this way, I'm not going to be here. So it is what it is. I just don't – people are always saying, oh, the game is getting soft. The game is this. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Like this is a violent game. Yes, we have to do better. Yes, the rules are changing for the best the better, but you can't on one hand say that, oh, it's getting too soft and then the, oh, but he's too tough. Pick a lane. I'm not saying you have to say he's all good, but if you think it's, if you want violence, go with violence. If you want safety, go with safety. You can't be teeter-tottering on both ends. That's just my opinion. Vontez has to do better. He can't do that shit, but to be honest, I don't think he can stop himself. He can't. You know, so there's certain things that you had to have taken on a case-by-case basis. If he has this X amount of, this kind of hit, Get rid of him. If it's something little that everyone else does and that no one else ever gets suspended for, just because it's Vontez, don't give him any crazy punishment. And I get there's context, but still, it's just it's football. It's a violent sport. I'm squarely in the Andrew Hawkins belly lane. Yeah, I, 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 I get it. I'm just saying. I'm just on a tangent right now. I see somebody tweet the Eric Reed situation where Eric Reed got into a Malcolm Jenkins, boom, 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 whatever. They have backstory. They have history. And someone tweeted – that maniac should be out of the league. Did you see the look in his eyes? He's a violent <laughs> psycho. Get him out of here. And I'm like, do you not know what football is? <laughs> you, what, newsflash, there's 1,500 violent psychos. No mm. one does that shit normally. That's not normal. Mm. Running full speed into other people with your head is not a normal thing to do. Your body's not made for that. We're all violent psychos. I'm five foot seven, 175 pounds. I'm not a linebacker, but I can promise you this. I don't have it all. Don't mess with me. Like, that's not, 
for me to go up against Ray Lewis and not be scared, that's not normal. I'm not built that way. I'm telling you right now, I do not have it all. I'm a football player. So, yes, what are we talking about? This is just isn't normal, but I'm done. My bad. I'm good. I'm good now. I'm calm. Okay. That's a, that's a mic dropper from Hawk. Right. Oh, that's a we'll see you next off. week. I'm sorry. All right. I think it's time for the Tomahawk Studs of the Week. And this one is a, a tough one for me because this player did not exactly set the world on fire for you fantasy fans. But the guy that I'm picking for my Stud of the Week was 12 of 24, 139 yards passing, touchdown, no interceptions, sacked once with a QBR of 43.3. Normally, you would say, how do you pick that guy as your stud of the week? He had a terrible game. But I'm going to say, you know what? He got the win, and he did it in incredible fashion because he was playing with uh, bullet wounds in his stomach, uh, broken ribs, bruised lungs. <laughs> he couldn't even fly to get to the game. He had to drive with a bunch of assistant strength coaches because he was so injured, and they worried about the dangers of airline travel. But yet, they throw him back there, and he gets the victory against the vaunted Jacksonville defense. Deshaun Watson, the guy that I said is not the next Michael Jordan, but I'm still a big fan because his toughness, his ability to go out there and lead his team to victory against the Jacksonville Jaguars and what is still a really good defense and only get himself sacked one time means he's learning how to protect himself. He's learning what that team needs from him to be able to get the victory. And I think going forward, this could really serve that offense well, where Deshaun realizes, hey, I don't have to make a big play every single time. I just need to get my, give my defense a chance. I just need to give some of these great players like DeAndre Hopkins a chance, and I can get the ball out quickly without taking enormous personal risks every single week. So the toughness that Deshaun showed is why I'm giving him my stud of the week in his winning effort against the Jaguars. Oh, just old school grit. The thing, every, every, every teammate that I talk to about Deshaun Watson just talks about how good of a guy he is. I don't know if it's a good thing at quarterback because I don't know if the best quarterbacks people actually describe that way, but no, he's an incredible person. Brady. Everyone hates hated Brady. Right. Really good quarterbacks Brady. are like bad like personality traits, their social yeah. anxiety and all kind of stuff. But yeah, shout out to Sean Watson. All right, my, my stud of the <laughs> week, I'm going to go with Adam Thielen, who had nine catches, 110 yards, and a tub this week, but the bigger deal is that he's the first player in the Super Bowl era to start the season with seven straight games and seven straight 100-yard receiving games in that time, which is an incredible stat. Think about all the larger-than-life receivers we've seen come through the league, and he's the only one to start the game, first seven games, all 100-yard games, which is amazing. Adam Thielen doesn't get talked about enough, and when they do, they talk about him like they talk about all uh, stereotypical white receivers, gritty, Leader, first guy in the gym. Is he, is he sneaky fast? Have people said he's sneaky, sneaky, fast? sneaky deceptive fast. speed, a hard worker, Cliche. first guy in, last one out kind of guy, a film guy. Basically Andrew Hawkins. When the actuality is, the dude's just a he's just a stud, man. Give him his Hawk. props. He's one of the best receivers in the league, um, and he's and he's putting the numbers up to prove it. If if you were a white receiver, do you think you would have had a better career? Because people would have been like, "Oh, that makes sense. He's short with great hands. Yeah. He works really hard." And, uh, you know, he can stick around. But they were confused. You, you were a black receiver with the white cliche. Dude, that's like a real thing, Joe. Like, if you think about it, they talk about me like I'm a white receiver. Yeah. Like, he's a smart guy. He's gritty. And it's like always a justification <laughs> thing. It's like black. receivers aren't typically short. So to justify it, we talk about all these other things. Same with a, white, a good white receiver. Like, a top-notch white receiver is like, oh, man, he's a – top-notch outside guy that is going for 100 yards a game 
oh, this is what it is. It's because he's so smart. He knows the defense. He knows what everybody's doing. Like, no, dude, he's just better than everybody else that he's playing against. Give the man his props. Uh, I think that's a good way to close today's show, man. Uh, make sure to tweet us using the hashtag Tomahawk. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Tomahawk Show. We've got an important guest coming up on Thursday, which I'm really excited to talk with. And, of course, make sure you join our DraftKings Listener League where you get an opportunity to watch Nat go for the gold with go her multi-thousand dollar coffee maker if she's able to get into the top five at any point for the rest of the season. Question, Joe. Somebody tweeted yep. that they're going to um, collectively all tank so she gets the coffee maker. I think that's a great <laughs> idea, by the way. Whoever said that is so tank, Could you Nat. imagine getting 350 people on the same page to all tank so Nat can win a coffee maker? Yeah, that ain't happening. I'm not worried. Also, Joe, before you go, you didn't kick it to me for final thoughts yet, but I still want to say this. We are looking at a possible live show location to be determined, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout. Tweet us. You have to tweet us and let us know where our live show should be because we're, we're looking for locations in or around Cleveland. So we got to get that out there. All right, great. Our next episode has the great Ask Nat segment. So make sure you tweet at me, hashtag Ask Nat. Please subscribe, rate us five stars. That's what allowing us to keep us on the air going forward. And as always, we'll talk to you next week. But first, final thoughts from Mr. Andrew Hawkins. It's not about what you do, it's about who you know. Ooh. That was your last final thoughts on the last episode. <laughs> okay. Um, let me reiterate that it's not about what you do. It's about who you know. Is that the only quote you know? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna broaden my quote horizons, but we're gonna end with that one, guys. Oh. See you next week. Matt? Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs> <laughs>